So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Matthew 1 verse 18 reads like this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Then come with me to Luke's Gospel. And Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. So it's Luke 1 verse 26, and it reads like this. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and, be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And uh, Steve this morning read... From one uh, John chapter 1, it says, and he, in his reading, the word became flesh. And in the reading in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, we read that God becomes man. It's the same, same thing that Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit, born of God. God becomes man. In, in Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and the reading that Stephen read earlier on, which is an amazing reading, God became flesh. I want to speak this morning of the heart of Christmas. Uh, I, over the, the last few weeks, the last couple of weeks, I, I took a short series on the theme of Christmas. Last week, I looked at the theme of the truth behind the tinsel. And we looked back on some things, wrapped up what Christmas is about, and some of the traditions that we have. Now this morning, I want to take it a step further and look at the very heart of Christmas. Uh, what's the very central theme, the very, very nub and heart of Christmas. And what that means to you and I and the implications that has for your life and my life and life on this world. A man called Andy Hawthorne, 
He is the founder of the Message Trust in Manchester. Um, fantastic organization and a brilliant um, apostolic leader. He said this, if you take Christ out of Christmas, all you're left with is M&S. As only Andy Hawthorne could put it. I thought that was really good. I had big, big design. Yeah, my wife's looking at me smiling. Oh, wonderful. Marks and Spencers. I know it's M-A and S, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a punchy line. And he, he's very, very interesting that he says that. You know, it's, if, if, if there's no Christ in Christmas, um, there's a lot of activity and there's lots of nice things. And, and hey, it's not wrong. And if you've, if you've got me on your Christmas list, I'll be very happy if you <laughs> visit M&S. But there's nothing wrong with buying presents. That's good. There's good. It's, you know, I'm all for that. It's all great. But it's not just about that, is it? It's what he's basically getting at when he says that. It's more to life. It's great. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. But if it just stops there, it, it stops. It stops at something. It doesn't just go to the full, what, what it's really all about, the very heart. It's, it can be left it'd be a bit hollow. Uh, because once all the presents are unwrapped, you know, Christmas morning, then you ripped everything, and well, that's, you know, I've heard some people say, well, that's it, done then. Well, I think, oh my word, that's it, done then after Christmas Day. But it can feel a bit like that sometimes. Because um, presents come and go. But the eternal rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives perfect meaning and purpose to life, never goes. He's with us for eternity. We're in the palm of his hand. So that's what I want to look at. And that's what we're going to uh, 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 progress this morning. Um, There's an old English word, um, probably used, um, historians and and, um, theologians look at around about 1038 AD, Christus Massa, which, which we get our word Mass of Christ, Christ Mass from in the English language. It was a word used in Old English, around about 1038, they reckon. And uh, it's uh, Christus Mass, it's, it's the Mass of Christ. And Christmas is the Mass of Christ. A Mass is a celebration of. And Christus Mass was a festival celebrating the birth of the Son of God. And uh, we've looked at this. I'm not going to um, go over this in great detail this morning. But last week we looked at the date and what was the date. And this idea of the, celebrating the birth. Christmas is a celebration, a festival that celebrates the birth of the Son of God. And what the early church did was they took December the 25th, which is the pagan celebration of Saturnalia, the birth and resurrection of the eternal sun in the sky. And they said, don't worship the sun in the sky. Worship the son of God who put the sun in the sky. And they took the 25th of December and eclipsed it with the son of God who shines brighter than the sun in the sky. If you read the Revelation, the book of Revelation, the, the, the account of the a vision that, that John has of Jesus, he burns brighter than the sun. You can't almost look. Uh, at him and uh, that hence so that's what the celebration of Christmas is the the celebration of the birth of the son of God but why celebrate his birth then now I know you and I as Christians would say because it's Jesus the eternal son of God but let's look it's a rhetorical question but let's look at this why why make it such a big deal because you know obviously didn't want human beings to forget the idea of Christmas is a celebration to know so that we don't forget um, the God's amazing gift and what it means and how we can live life for all eternity. The very heart of Christmas is the mystery, majesty, wonder of something that we call the incarnation. 
the incarnation. It's the majesty, the mystery, and the wonder of God coming as flesh. To incarnate, it means God became man. And so the celebration of Christmas is the celebration of the wonder, the magic, the mystery, the majesty, the mighty fact that God became a man. It it, it celebrates his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and what it means to you and I in our lives and the face of this planet and for the world in all eternity. Christmas isn't just about one day, the 25th of December, or whatever day, or the, uh, but it's, it celebrates God coming amongst us. And there's nothing else like it in history or will ever be, no matter what you hear from other faiths or religions. It is that amazing, and it's that fantastic. It's what theologians call the incarnation. To incarnate, when Steve read that this morning, I thought, wow, that's great. He's reading something I want to talk about. In John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh. The Word that was living with God, which is Lord Jesus Christ, for all eternity was there at the beginning and is the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. To incarnate means you become flesh. Incarna means in flesh. Literal translation. And so it means to embody, to become it. And so God embodied himself in human form, fully God and fully man. Didn't pretend to be a man, but fully. And so if if you and I incarnate love, we embody love. We actually become it. We embody it. And so we're caught. Now, this is amazing. This is incredible. And we're not going to get lost in a, in, in down a, a theological blind alley. But it's good to lay hold of. It's a, the theological term is to incarnate. But it means to embody, to become. And so God embodies himself. He becomes man fully, completely. But this is God. And this is the birth of the Son of God. And this is what we, we celebrate. And we come with wonder. It's mysterious in the sense of how could God who formed the universe and come and be himself and limit himself in a place and time. And yet he extends outside time. There's something of the mystery there, but there's also mixed with the mystery, majesty. And we sing songs about majesty and we worship his majesty. It's quite spectacular. No, understatement of the century. It's amazing. It's more than spectacular that God comes amongst us. But it doesn't stop there. He comes amongst us so that he can live in you to be incarnated, embodied in your life and my life and the lives of men, women and children on the face of this earth. Christianity is not just information. Information deals with the head. It's partly to do with information, of course, but Christianity doesn't stop our faith, our living faith. It's a living faith. And this is the good news. Oh my word, we've got to lay hold of this. Our faith doesn't just stop at information and go into the head. But it's all about transformation and incarnation in the heart. To embody, to become. And it's the touch of the heart. Where Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to live within you and I. And embodies himself in our lives. And so our faith is more than information in the head. But it leads to transformation in the heart. And that's the difference. That is the difference between anything else on the face of the earth and, and, and any other man-made religion, whatever it may be. And this transformation takes place through the power of incarnation. That's what I want to say. And that's what I want to go through. This That's what we're going to go through.
and look at this morning. And that's the heart of Christmas. It's the power of incarnation where God becomes man, but God can reside in you and I and live within our lives and make a change and transform and makes the difference in amongst us and in and through you and I. A man called Neil Armstrong, commander of Apollo 11, July the 20th, 1969. I took my Hannah. And we went to the National Space Center recently. And uh, a great place to visit. Really was amazing. And uh, went to, it was amazing. It was really interesting. And uh, my wife's laughing at me now because I'm going to wax lyrical about this place. But anyway, they had this room in the National Space Center that set up to look as if it was in 1969. When oh, I loved it and I was saying, oh, look at this, Hannah, look at this TV. I remember I would have been sort of about three and a half, something like that watching Neil Armstrong on the moon. I can remember it. To me, it was a fuzzy, black and white image, fuzzy image. You think, well, okay, I'll take your boy, you know, but as a child. But, I said, but they show this, and they've got this room set up with the wallpaper back from the 60s and the, the chairs. And I say, oh, my mum and dad used to have chairs like that. She went, yeah, 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 dad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, on to the next thing. I was like a little boy looking, oh, look at this. But you can actually watch the, the TV mock-up and see Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. And, and it's amazing when the, the Apollo um, astronauts, um, as they're circling or coming up, was it, for, for, when they're seeing the earth, they read the Genesis account. And there's a, there's a, there's, they actually play this, and you can hear them reading the Genesis account, God created. It's, it's, it's really it's quite a spiritual experience that I had, but it was quite amazing. But anyway, Neil Armstrong, 1969, July the 20th, 1969. He said this, when he stepped out onto the moon... Bearing in mind, in John F. Kennedy made an amazing speech in May. Some of you will remember this. Before my, this I can say is before my time. But John F. Kennedy, on May 1961, made a speech that said, we will one day put a man on the moon. And every, all the scientists sort of laughed and went, oh, how are we going to do this? And in 1969, some eight years later, there we were, walking on the moon. I know there's all these conspiracy theories and everything else, but anyway... And this is what he said, as he stepped out onto the moon, these amazing words, whether he rehearsed them, they're the most incredible words you could ever say. He said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And all the technology and everything that's come out of moonwalking, and, and it's incredible. What an amazing thing to say. But there's something more amazing. A man called Jim Irwin, a very amazing Christian man, who was one of the... Um, Moonlander uh, astronauts and drove one of the, the moon rover on the moon himself from this walk the moon in 1971 said this God walking on I think this is an even better statement but you don't hit, read this one as much as Neil Armstrong's he said this God walking on earth is infinitely greater than man walking on the moon what an amazing man Jim Irwin and he drove that moonlander thing around the moon this is what he said God walking on earth is infinitely greater than man walking on the moon. Wow. God became flesh. Incarnation. And so, when we read in John chapter 1, God becomes flesh. What an amazing... Jim Irwin has said the same thing, giving it credence. What an amazing thing. Jesus, we read in the Matthew account and the Luke account, um, Mary says, how can this be? You know, I'm a virgin. How can I have a child? And, and the, the angel says, your child will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is of the Holy Spirit. Of, he's 
always existed, fully ex- of the Holy Spirit of heaven, and yet born of a virgin of this earth of man. So Jesus, fully God and fully man, um, the incarnation. Some things we can learn from God in the flesh. There's a couple of things I want to look at very quickly, and with this we'll close. A number of things that we can learn from the incarnation, the heart of Christmas then. Number one, God does things his way, not our way. I, I don't know, have you found this? Have you discovered this in your life? Is it, or is it just me? Am I the only one on the face of the planet and I discover that God seems to do things a certain way and yet I expect them another way? Or I look at things and expect this, this and this and then God does something like that and I think, well, is that God or how could that happen? God does things his way. The, the, the Bible says that his, word, his ways are, are too lofty for us to understand. God has his way. He is, after all, God. He sets the agenda. He can create and he, he can build up. He can pull down. The Lord give, the Lord taketh away. Um, religion, tradition, my likes, dislikes, social custom, the norms of our day. Uh, circumstance of life. These things dictate um, uh, for us to think, well, God does it like this or God doesn't do it like that. But in the incarnation, God does it his way. It's, it's spectacular. We learn this in the way in which Jesus was born, how he was born, where he was born, the way God chose to show himself amongst us. Uh, it might not be in the way I, I would have um, expected it. You and I wouldn't have expected it that way. Some of us would have preferred it another way, perhaps. When you think about it, you know, um, Jesus should have been born um, in a rich, to a rich, royal, powerful family. If you want to make maximum impact, surely, you know, in the social custom of our day, where personality and fame is the order of the day, where prestige is is power, uh, finance and prestige and and things, material things uh, are powerful. Surely, if you think about it, if we looked at our social customs, if we looked at the way which you and I would think, um, if we say, didn't have the Bible to, to fall back on and look back on in hindsight, surely you would say to yourself, and I would say to myself, he should have been born into a rich family, a royal family, a powerful family, silk sheets, the best sheets. After all, if this is going to be the Son of God... After all, if this is the Son of God to show the whole world in the most amazing way, maximum impact, surely, the best place, the highest hotels, the best, the finest foods. And yet, he's born to a young couple. They would have been in the custom of their day, a young teenage couple, very young couple actually. And Joseph was a humble man. Uh, he had a trade, but it would have been a humble, considered a humble trade, a carpenter. And his wife was a young teenager, a virgin, and she was carrying a child. The custom of the day would have been that she could have been stoned to death. In some parts of the world today, that still is carried and is true. Can you imagine the whispers? Look what's happened to Joseph. Look, this is why it says that Joseph was going to put her away quietly. The Bible's amazing. It's so honest, you know. Isn't it incredible? It says that Joseph, in finding this out, was not, didn't want her to be harmed, was just going to keep it quiet for a while, and then they would have got married, and it would have been okay. It's incredible, because of the, the norms of what was happening during the day. Um, he was born um, into a room that was, may not have been a barn. You know, we have, a, we have a, this idea of that Jesus being born in a stable. 
possibly, probably, it would have been a house with a, a room attached that had animals in it. If you go to certain parts of the world, you go to India, and you've been to certain parts of the world, and you see certain homes, and you're, you, you're embraced in a village, and you go to a home, you have the home and the house, and a, and a certain area where animals will be sort of side by side with you and I almost sort of thing. And it would have been that type of thing probably. So Jesus would have been born into a very humble home or, or a humble house or an outbuilding or a building nearby that had animals nearby or animals with it in it, oxen, etc., etc. So it would have been a cold, smelly, sort of, dare it I say, earthy, a little bit dirty type of place. You know, um, he... he he was born not with silk sheets, but, you know, linen and straw and feeding trough. You think to yourself, this doesn't seem to make sense, God. You're looking to make maximum impact, Lord. Surely it's got to be done. You see, well, for anything we understand, the people, the family, the homes, but God has a plan. God has a plan. And he takes the humble things of this earth and he confounds the so-called wise with the mystery of his Great plan for our lives. Don't be dismayed if things happen in our lives and we don't quite fully understand. It doesn't maybe meet the, meet the cultural norm or it doesn't fit our circumstance for a moment because God has in a most amazing way for you and I and we see that in the incarnation. And we mustn't be dismayed at times if it doesn't go the way in which I quite expect or even hope or think it should do because God has a way. And the incarnation shows us this, the heart of Christmas. God has the most amazing way. Hands that created the universe as a defenseless babe reach out and clutch straw. My mind boggles. The hands that flung the sun into being as a babe clutches straw and clutches a mummy and daddy's hand tightly. I find that spectacular. It's the mystery and the majesty of how God makes himself vulnerable. There is, God does things, the incarnation teaches us that God, when he does things, does it his way. And also God makes himself vulnerable and humble. And there is humble, vulnerable humility. And so too. Don't be dismayed. Don't be surprised. I find it spectacular. It's the magic and it's the heart of Christmas. In the film, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail, there's a, there's a scene in Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail where the two archaeologists are looking for the Holy Grail. It's mythical, obviously. It's just a film. It's a Hollywood film. But there's an interesting bit in there. And they're looking for the chalice from the Last Supper. And um, Indiana Jones is the, 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 you know, the hero archaeologist. And there's always an evil archaeologist, nemesis, looking for the same artifact. And anyway, they find, they come to the chamber where all of these different grails, the cups, the chalices are on show. Some of them are huge, ornate, gold-encrusted, gold, uh, jewel-encrusted, etc., etc., if you've seen the film. Um, and um, the evil archaeologist pushes Dr. Jones out of the way, and he pushes everyone out of the way because they're seeking eternal life, you see, by drinking this so-called holy grail thing, anyway. And as he goes, he says, which one would it be? Because they have to choose wisely, you see. This is the final test. And so he picks up the one that is the most goldest, biggest, jewel-encrusted, and said, yes, this has to be it, fit for a king. Drinks of it. I won't describe the rest because it's not very nice, but he dies. <laughs> Dr. Jones, the hero, looks 
he chooses wisely. He finds the one of the humble carpenter, which you say, well, that's a bit, bit basic, isn't it? You know, could have turned that on malaise, done a bit of wood turning and turns. But it's, 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 he said, ah, this is the one fit for a carpenter, drinks. You see, humility. God does things his way. Now, that's just a story, but it's an illustration of what we expect, what we think. What we think should be in life and church and home and what God should do isn't always the way in which God works. The incarnation teaches us to be prepared, not dismayed. Secondly, the second thing that we see is this, that God comes to bring personal relationship. If God does it things his way and not as we expect, the second thing is he brings personal relationship. He didn't send a message, but he became the message. He just didn't speak out from heaven, but came and became one of us, became a man and became the message. Jesus didn't just say, I'll show you the way. He said, I am the way. That babe that was born, as we were reminded, grows up in life and says, this is the way to live. I am the way. God didn't just send a message, he becomes the message. This speaks of personal relationship. God wants to relate to you and to relate to me. Personal relationship. The heart of Christmas is this, that when God became man, he did it to show us a better way and to relate to you and I heart to heart. It says in the Bible that God was in Christ reconciling man or the world to himself. God was in Christ. That's an incarnational Um, uh, uh, verse from the Bible. God was in Christ reconciling man, the world, to himself. You know, our lives, we are rescued. You know, we haven't got a length of time to go through it, but in right at the very beginning in Genesis, we realize that when mankind, human beings, Adam and Eve, separated themselves and went their own way, that is sin. When we do things our way and live for ourselves without God and we turn our back, that's called sin. Not just doing bad things. As soon as you live for yourself without God, that is sin. Making your own decisions in your life without God, that is sin. It leads us to then do all sorts of stuff. Don't hear that word today, sin. And sin had to be remedied. It was the sacrifice. There was blood. Uh, There was animal sacrifice. Uh, The perfect, spotless lamb had to be sacrificed to remedy sin. And so God, to rescue us from sin, the remedy was the gift of his own one and only son. Wow, a relationship, amazing sacrifice. His son was born so that we might live. He grew and lived. The rescue from sin is one through relationship. God reconciled us to himself through the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To reconcile means to put our hands in the hands of God. And on the cross, Jesus put your hand and my hand in the hand of God. To redeem. The Bible says that Jesus has redeemed us. To redeem means to pay a price. The picture in the slave markets of paying a price to pay for the slave to give them their freedom or to buy them into your family. Uh, A good master would then release that slave with freedom. And Jesus has redeemed. There's a price. Sin is a price. Turning our back on God carries a price. It's death. And so Jesus Christ pays that price through himself. God pays it through himself. The incarnation. The incarnation rescues, redeems, reconciles us. And on the cross, that's what Jesus did. Billy Graham shares a story of an ant, not a tribe of ants, a colony of ants. He says there's this colony of ants and he was walking along one day and he could see that there was some damage to this colony. And he thought to himself, if only I could help them, if only I could help them. And they were, you know, our ants go all over the place when they're, they're disturbed and there was loads of them. And he said, it's just like that. He thought to himself, that's just like that with God. 
the creator who creates you and I looks at us scurrying around in life like a load of little ants. And so it's like as if God becomes an ant and says to the ants, the creator becomes an ant, he said, and says, follow me, I'll show you a better way. And this is exactly what God did in Christ for us as humanity. God looked upon us and saw the way in which we were running and running around to and fro. And he becomes one of us and says, follow me. Hey, guys, you follow me. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And so we need to come to him and say, Lord God, forgive me for living for myself. That's sin. I want to live for you. I receive and say thank you for your redemption, your reconciliation, for paying the price for my sin. I want a relationship with you. And so God lives so that we might have a relationship with him. And finally, the third and final thing that we see from the very heart of Christmas, the good news is this. We are to incarnate Jesus in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you and I are to embody Christ just as he embodied the living Father. We are to embody the living Jesus Christ in our lives too. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, I send you. It's in John's Gospel. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Our faith is incarnational. If you just have information, it's all head. But transformation is the change of the heart. And so we have to incarnate it. Um, you know, to sort of, it, it's a, uh, you know, my dirty old tatty gardening gloves. I do do a few things around the, the place. And I, but, you know, the picture is a bit like a glove, isn't it? You know, I have the glove of, this is a glove of religion. You know, on its own, it's information. And, it, it, you know, you can talk about it, think about it, and it's fine. It might look nice, and it might, might, might help you, and it might do you some good. It's the glove of religion. But if I put it on, it becomes living and active, and I can do something with it. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to do. You know, our Christian faith isn't just information and religion. Otherwise, it's, it's formless. It, we can talk about it and say it's great, but it's when I embody it, it's when I incarnate Christ that it becomes living and active and alive as I put the glove on. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to embody Jesus Christ. And so I can talk about love, <coughs> glove of religion, or I can become love and embody love and it becomes living and active. Now these gloves can protect my hand. I say, oh, they really help. They can protect me. Or I can put them on and do me gardening or whatever it is you're going to do. And they are helpful. And so too with us, we put on, we actually embody the life of Christ. And that's what is the mystery behind the incarnation. This morning, God calls us to incarnate his full being through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, we need to come before him and say, God, forgive me for living for myself. I've sinned against you. I've lived my life without including you. Forgive me. I thank you that you've paid the price for living for self, the sacrifice through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've become, so Jesus became my sin. I want to now live for you. And as we say, I want to live for you, now I want to live for you through the power of the Holy Spirit so I can become love. I can become forgiveness. I can become graciousness and be gracious. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, the miraculous, wonderful gift of your Son, God became flesh. The birth of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived, grew and lived the perfect life and gave himself 
in our place and rose to live forevermore and can live within our hearts today through the power of incarnation. We say thank you, the very heart of Christmas. Lord God, we say thank you that you may reign and live in us. We say, Lord, reign in me. Sovereign Lord, live in me. May you be alive, Lord Jesus Christ, forevermore in me. Thank you so much, Father. We remember the gift of life at Christmas. It's a great celebration. It reminds us again. It helps us dig deep again and say thank you and turn towards you. But not only that, do we look back. We now look forward with our lives, living for you. Help us by your power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to be loved, to live love, to be you, Lord Jesus, we ask. Come and live and reign in us, we ask, in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Let's look up together. God bless you, folks.